Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. Welcome to today's guest. I had a fantastic conversation with Natasha Richardson, the medical herbalist and women's health expert on today's show. I'm so excited for you to hear this one. After having struggled with debilitating period pain for years, Natasha discovered how natural remedies could help, but was disappointed by how difficult they were to acquire. As a result, she launched her own line of products called Forged Botanicals. Natasha is an advocate for embodiment and normalizing menstruation, birth, and menopause. Inspired by her feminist proclivities, she has researched the history of how products surrounding women's health have affected how we relate to our bodies and the inner sexist beliefs we hold against ourselves and each other. Enjoy today's show. Thank you so much for coming onto the show, Natasha. Let's get into the first question that I always ask my guest, which is, tell me the story of your very first period. So I have a really, like, no memory of it at all. And I I think that this must be um, hopefully telling that it wasn't problematic. But I do remember, I do have like a light bulb memory. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. It means like you can remember exactly where you were in, in space and time when something happened. I can remember myself like standing in the playground in primary school and somebody had just told me from, you know, there's like girls magazines that have like period like information in because kids like send messages in being like, something's happening. Is this normal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had like, they had one of those, which was obviously for teenagers. So I'm guessing somebody, some older sibling had had it in the house and it had been brought into primary school, which was like for under 10 year olds. And um, somebody said, oh my God, it says here that you're going to bleed between your legs. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, how could that be? Like, I just remember standing in the playground, looking down at my crotch and thinking, where is it going to come from? And can it be true? (laughs) (laughs) How old were you when, you know, all of this was happening? So I would have been like potentially just as young as like six or seven. So like six or seven, you kind of have, I'm just thinking about my son. He kind of has a basic understanding of, of these things. And, you know, when you want to ask, he went, he, he'll ask things like what's sex. And then I don't obviously don't give him like a detailed explanation, but he just, (laughs) He, he when he's had enough he'll just turn to a different topic when, <laughs> was that kind of like you know you you're questioning it and then did you you got this information from a friend and then did you go and speak to your parents or sibling 
about what you had heard in school? Yeah, so I think I kept that to myself because I remember kind of trying to really process this concept in the playground that day. But then I do remember that my mum gave me a um, period education book. And I think she, I'm pretty sure she gave us that before they did anything, before we had our talk in school. Because I remember us kind of like, as girls all crowding around it in the playground and being like, oh my God, we're going to get boobs. We're going to like, what, how, what is all happening? And <laughs> it was like this, this kind of like secretive gossipy kind of thing. And we were getting, you know, our education through this book that my mum had provided for us. And so I must have talked to her about it in order for that to have happened. And then I remember us getting like the talk, which I think was more, it was definitely about sex, but then we split up into male and female in order to learn about the menstruation portion, I believe. And I always like have envisaged that like, like what were the boys being taught? And <laughs> somebody then later told me, oh, that's when they learn investment banking. And I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> And and how old were you when you were getting getting this kind of sex ed chat at school? So then we would have been like probably uh, nine, I think. And they were aware that some people probably would have already started their periods, and they they because they literally would know who had started because um, those poor souls <laughs> who had started really early, they had like this kind of. Um, backup plan for those people where they could come to the staff room and say that they need some sanitary pads or whatever and get some um so I don't know what that what that experience must have been like for those people who started earlier than everybody else oh my gosh like imagine like eight being eight or nine years old and having to go to the staff room to say like oh my, and like knocking on and, the door and the stuff yeah and on. everyone looking around and then you like telling trying to whisper to a teacher hopefully not a man yeah oh, <laughs> oh gosh oh that's like oh horrible. horrible yeah it sounds like traumatizingly bad but <laughs> <laughs> and so you don't remember your your first period but if you think no. back to the early years of having a period what was that experience like for you well I remember being eager for it to happen I remember my other friends got them before I did and I was very like excited to get it I did kind of see it as a marker of becoming a woman and I'm not sure if I had started to really get geekishly knowledgeable about paganism and wicca at that time (laughs) Uh, that was definitely a big influence for me during my teen years. And I was like, so aware of like this concept of there being like three distinct phases of womanhood. And I was a maiden and I was about to enter into being a menstruating person. Yeah. And I was super excited about it actually. Um, as a marker of, of me growing up, I guess. When you say three, so for listeners who aren't aware, so three phases of womanhood in the kind of pagan, um world can you describe those yeah so you have maiden mother and crone in the pagan world and it kind of denotes like a maiden can be anybody who hasn't had a has a 
had a child biologically speaking but um, a mother could be somebody who just is motherly and that you know those aunties that you might have that that are like very motherly but they don't actually have children of their own like those kind of people in your life Mm. that could be the mother phase for somebody as well you didn't necessarily have to have a child and then a crone would be somebody who had gone presumably like gone through menopause but it's also like bigger it's it's more like metaphorical as well for for becoming more wise (laughs) which I think is hilarious now that now that I'm like older and I look at you know the the older generation in my life I feel like you actually like reach a point of like maximum maturity and then you just regress through like teenagehood and then into like being an absolute child again (laughs) (laughs) that's that's interesting I I feel like for if I think about the older women my mum is Go, go ahead your mom is my sort of teen rebellion again right now and her mom is like like it's like amazing and everything's great and it's like oh this breakfast is amazing she's got terrible dementia she can't remember really why she's there or she can't remember anything bad in her life she just like lives from the moment and is just loving it <laughs> <laughs> So go back to what you were saying about how um, paganism influenced your um, experience of having a period during your teenage years. Yeah, so um, I think that it gave me a concept of divine feminine and masculine and that everybody is a mix of both. And because it has this whole like goddess worship as part of its main functionality, or, do- or doctrination, maybe that's the right word. It, it's, um, I'm assuming that it gave me the basis of what would then become my feminist politics because it saw femininity in a positive light. And I don't know, I guess I'd seen a bit of that elsewhere, but with girl power and stuff like that, that was in the 90s, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and I remember getting really into 1960s history. I don't know why, but I read like loads about Haight Ashbury. I I think it was must have been the music that my mum was listening to. And then I sort of segued into that from there. So I was kind of like living this bizarre like fantasy world where I was a witch pagan in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> that was my make-believe world that I lived yeah. in as a teenager. <laughs> I mean, the 60s, definitely, like in San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, very exciting time. So to be a pagan feminist witch then would have been quite incredible. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so this is the kind of, um, your the kind of more theory around what having a period meant to you and what about in practice like how would how what was the practical experience of having a period like uh during your teenage years it was like a secret club of like growing up that the girls were a part of that the boys weren't and that it was like you didn't really talk about it much but people knew and then <sighs> I don't remember thinking at the time, like I'm being secretive because it's shameful. I was like, just thinking, yeah, like it was part of being a secret club. I I thought it was cool. (laughs) You're definitely not like the first 
the first person I've heard this from, like having a, a bit of a secret and like the kind of thrill of having that secret. And then was it something with your like girlfriends you would whisper about, um, you know, what did that, what, how did that secret look like in practice? Yeah. So I think that we would, it would, it would be something that we could talk about in female circles comfortably, but that we didn't talk about in front of other people. So yeah, it ends up becoming like a sort of bonding experience for a particular gender. And I liked that. And I like, like we had a, um, we had a period talk in secondary school, which was much more oriented towards like understanding the variety of products that were available to us. And um, it still wasn't sustainable at all. It was just very much like there are lots of different sizes of tampons and lots of different um, sizes and shapes of pads. That was kind of it. Um, somehow managed to fill an hour just talking about that. I don't know <laughs> what that was about. And then at the end, we got a bag like um it was like I think it was like pink metallic jiffy bag style envelope kind of thing with pads and tampons and stuff in and the boys didn't know what we had been taught about that day but we all emerged with like these secretive yet snazzy bags of stuff which they were just like hypnotized by you know they desperately wanted to know what's in it and and everyone as a collective just knew like no we're not going to tell you we're not going to tell you what's in here it's our stuff (laughs) (laughs) what's interesting about having the having this experience of having a period feel like being a part of a secret club is that that there's almost two ways that this can go. It could be a secret that feels cool and interesting and exciting. And then it could also be a secret that there's some shame to it. And you feel yeah. like that shame is also that shame stops you from talking about it and learning more. Does, was that your experience at all? Or was it more like the cool side? It, it felt cool at the time in hindsight I've looked back on it and been like oh my goodness yeah we were doing all of that because of this like hundreds of years of shame that's been like smashed into our heads Mm -hmm. but I think that it gets um not dilated but and not necessarily transformed but changed as the different generation goes through that experience of keeping something secret and we and I don't, I'd like to know like what it was like for maybe my mum's generation of being taught about it. My understanding is there was no secret club. It was just like, get on with it. And you learn the bare minimum and just get by kind of thing. Um, so I feel like maybe our generation made it cool <laughs> because we've been told to, to feel positively about being girls in the first place. And we're in, you know, we're in, I think of everything now in terms of like what my research as, as a historian has like taught me. So maybe like contextual, like living in a time where there isn't, we're being told women, girls can do anything. They can take over the world. They can just do whatever they want. They can be a spice girl if they really want to. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's why we turned that kind of secretive stuff and made it into a cool club. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that I mean it's better than it being being re- like shamed and you just feel like something's wrong with you for having a period. Um, yeah, and it came as such a big surprise to me to discover that people my in my age group had had that experience. Yeah, and then 
talking about just thinking about your the practical experience of having a period something that you have said is that you struggled with debilitating period pain mm. when when did your period start to become painful so it wasn't until I went to university that that started to happen mm. and so it was quite surprising because it just seemed to like come out of nowhere and it took me ages to like really um take on board that that was even what was happening uh because it would be once a month and I think that I don't know why but I just like ignored it for the longest time probably as much as like a year and then because I was learning herbal medicine at the time someone was like that's not normal though Natasha and I was like yeah I guess like it wasn't even normal for me and I'm still not picking up on it as something that's worth doing anything about and then I had (laughs) But then it did get really bad. Like, I think it was just ignorable for quite some time. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, but I remember being, I worked part-time in a, in a shop at the time in um, St. Pancras Station. And St. Pancras Station, all the shops have glass fronts on them. So it's like you don't, it's like you don't have a wall to the front of your shop in a way. And everybody can see in. You're very much like a goldfish in a bowl Mm. and um I remember getting really bad period pain painkillers weren't helping and my boss looks over at me and she's like uh Natasha you okay and I was like yeah I'm fine she was like because you look pretty green I was like (laughs) what and I looked in the mirror and I like yeah I looked kind of gray green and I was like really just holding it together and as soon as she said that I was like well now you mention it (laughs) I actually have really bad period pain today and I'm I'm struggling and she turns out that she had um period problems herself of a different ilk and so I felt like very like I could be open and it was nice working there because with a beauty store almost everybody was girls so it was very easy to talk about those kind of things and um I just like had to crouch down behind the till points and no one could see me and just like I couldn't do anything I couldn't keep a conversation I couldn't serve anybody like I was completely debilitated and um my boss was like, I think you better go home. You're not, you're not any used to me here. And I was like, yeah, probably not. But I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> I, I like remember just really slowly and in a very heavy haze getting on the train and like sleeping to my train stop. And when I got there, I got off the train and felt nearly completely fine again. And I was like, oh, damn it, I shouldn't have left work. I should have just stayed at work. And that was the nature of my pain. It was like very extreme, but really short-lived. And it was, in a way, the shortness of it made it more awkward than than the actual pain did. So when you say short, are we talking like a day? Are we talking a few hours? Like hours. So when I went to the doctor about it eventually, I was like, yeah, I get really bad pain, but it only lasts a few hours and then it can be completely gone. And they were like, huh well, I guess it doesn't sound that bad enough for us to like look into it seriously. And I was like, okay. And they were like, you know, just keep an eye on it and see if it gets worse, then come back to us. Maybe we'll do some tests and stuff. And I was like, all right then. And um, they offered me some painkillers, which I didn't think I wanted or it didn't work. They offered me the contraceptive pill, which I didn't want to take. 
And um, yeah, but the the shortness of it meant that I felt super awkward about explaining to people like I can't do something that day because I may or may not have debilitating pain at some point during the event. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really just awkward to, to explain that it could be that bad for such a short frame of time. And, um, often as a side effect of me being in pain, I would need to rush to the loo at some point, which made me feel really self-conscious about where I was going to be whilst experiencing the pain. Am I going to be near a toilet? Is it going to be a toilet that I'd be happy to use? Is it going to be, you know, ugh, yeah, it was just like horrible. And then that became a problem in itself that I would start to forebode my period. And I was like looking forward forwards in time thinking when is it going to be what shall I block out of my diary how much should I block out of my diary I started blocking out a three-day period like um time frame where I'd put don't book anything on these days because you're slightly that's going to be a period and um it was just like living like that for ages it's like and I I think like by that point other people knew and I was moving in herbal circles and everyone was like, you should definitely treat this. I'm like, oh, okay. If I have to. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting that like, you know, you were studying herbal medicine and like, okay, I'm like thinking about my experience studying nutrition. And, you know, I do think that nutritionists, you know, you, you go into studying nutritionists, you get so like, almost like you can some people can get really like almost obsessed with what they're putting in their body and the symptoms that they're experiencing not everyone but I do know that that is can be a common experience but it's interesting that you had this you know this pain and you were kind of like you know not acknowledging it in that in that you know you had to acknowledge it when it happened but it took someone to say in your course to say to you like you know you need to deal with this where where do you think that came from why do you think that it took you so long to actually do something about it Uh, like in hindsight I can see like exactly why and it was just that I thought it was kind of normal and that that's what everyone was going through and like everyone gets period pain so this is probably just that period pain that people have been talking about all this time that I just hadn't had and you know I've just been one of the lucky ones that didn't have it and now I have it and this is what everyone's going through and yeah I just didn't think anything of it for ages and we weren't taught menstruation as part of our herbal course when we were doing anatomy and physiology, because our anatomy and physiology was being taught by the same department who were teaching the nurses. And nurses, at least at Lincoln University, didn't learn anything about gynecology because it seemed to be a specialist subject. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we didn't learn about it till later that year in our first year because they had to add it on as additional subject at the end so that we didn't miss out on that information altogether and I just remember being like where when are we going to learn about gynecology when are we going to learn about menstrual cycles because I was like really interested in them by then and and they and I just remember the anatomy and physiology nurses just being like oh no we don't learn about that that's what that's for specialists that's for gynecologists we can't learn about that it's like what (laughs) I was livid I mean I was like full-blown early 20s 
feminist, righteous white woman. She's like, what? We cannot learn about periods. <laughs> did that did that change anything at all on the course or like, did they add it in earlier eventually and not as a sep- specialist subject? So I think, I'm not entirely sure that I imagine that they definitely would have had it that they knew we were going to have to learn it as a specialist thing right from the get-go because they've been running the course for a few years that way already. Um, at least I think so. It's hard to, to remember. But anywho, because it's a holistic practice, that was definitely always going to be a part of what we were going to learn. It just, I think that it had to happen right at the end of the course because it was the only time that we had available, anything. Right. Um, so it did feel a bit like, oh, and now we're going to do a little bit extra about some stuff that you didn't learn. And it was sort of like, it felt a bit like optional add-ons by that point because it wasn't part of the core like modules. Um, but obviously, like everybody was just like, this is so crucial. And the herbalists teaching it were like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when we learned. We did one on breastfeeding, one on um, menopause and one on uh, menstruation and we were just like we could have done a whole module on this they're like yeah we know oh my gosh <laughs> and then I think we did a lot more from in second year and third year from that point yeah became a big thing for us and then so when you learned about the kind of anatomy and physiology of menstruation did it change your perspective on your period pain it might have done but I I honestly don't recall it become my these years are like a bit of a funny blur to me you know it just feels like you were a different person doesn't it like sometimes like you've lived lived three or four different lives by the time you're 30 it's weird Mm, yeah no I I definitely relate to that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um how was your relationship with your period now so now it's like positive but a bit it's far different from before I had kids like before I had I had my son I was like it was like a religious uh practice almost like this week I shall not be doing any social things because I am in my premenstrual phase like (laughs) (laughs) I think that was the kind of dialogue at least that I had in my head I don't think I was that um exhibitory about it (laughs) (laughs) and now um my periods are like so unproblematic they like barely hurt I had to get any PMS there was a point where I was getting that really bad pain that also the week before I would get really tired like tired to the point where I couldn't do anything I couldn't go out and stuff and um that that time frame I also started to get social anxiety. I couldn't go out and, uh, or I could go out, but not without anxiety. Um, so it became, you know, that period pain was wrapped up in a whole really dysfunctional part of my overall well-being. And then as that all got better, um, it, you know, it all gets better together is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Then I tried to get pregnant and got pregnant. And after that, it just has gone it's all gone (laughs) so after you gave birth your periods just kind of stopped being painful then the anxiety the premenstrual anxiety just kind of went away yeah because I knew one of the key things that actually I was given quite late on in all of that I found that the herbs and stuff could get rid of it nearly completely and 
um, I was really vigilant about taking them for a long time. Then I stopped and it started to creep back in. And um, I went to a doctor who said, why don't you try methanamic acid? Nobody had offered me that before. And I was like, well, I guess, yeah, I think I'm at this point where I'd rather try and just take a painkiller for the day than change everything about the way that I live and eat. (laughs) 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 And so I think I tried it and I took one and I was like, holy crap, just completely got rid of my period pain. And um, as a byproduct of that, knowing that I could take this one, a single pill and it get rid of all my pain for that month. I was like, all right, this is good. And um, I didn't ever get period pain as bad ever again. And it wasn't because I carried on taking the pills because I knew that I had a pill if I needed to that would relieve the pain. Wow. The MMA, methylonic acid, was different kind of mentally to in your um, experience to taking like ibuprofen or paracetamol. Yeah. It was different. And it, and I think it just had this amazing, wonderful placebo effect for me where it just relieved that. Um, I was taught there's primary and secondary pain. And primary pain is the pain you feel and secondary pain is the pain that you create by feeling anxious about the real pain. Mm. And I think it just like totally got rid of the secondary pain for me because I knew that I could do something about the primary if I really needed to. And I never, yeah, I never got period pain as bad ever again. <laughs> You know, it's really interesting that you bring up this, you know, primary and secondary pain because I've, I see this a lot in my clinic. It's, there's the pain, but then there's also the anxiety around mm. the pain and the kind of anxiety that cr- the anticipation of getting your period creates. And I see this where we address, we address the pain and then but then the work needs to be done around addressing that anxiety about the pain potentially coming back. Um, so yeah. it's interesting that, you know, that one pill completely changed your whole experience. Yeah, it really did. And um, that's not to like poo-poo, like the incredible like healing that I'd experienced through herbs and stuff. It was just that at that point in time, I, I I was just like beyond it was beyond comprehension to me to do the kind of like legwork that had been involved in me um getting the same results a year before that mm. <laughs> more in a more holistic fashion yeah I think you know to an extent again with hindsight I look at it and I think you know it was to an extent it was a very privileged position for me to be in a position where I could be that flexible with my time that I could take time off when I needed it and work when I thought was best and it was really privileged to me to be able to change my food to something more healthy not everybody can do that um so yeah all of those kind of like things is what led me down the route of wanting to launch my own products to help with these things so that people didn't have to spend literally years of changing their lifestyle and their diet and that that, because I just I I didn't think really that all of that was entirely necessary for some of the symptoms I was experiencing I do think it was necessary for that deep deep healing to occur though I think I'm a much better person for having done it definitely Mm. so so people will be listening to this thinking well what you know what can I do what herbs can I take 
Um, how can I, what can I do to address my period pain? What would you say to them? Well, I think it, the first thing that anybody should do before they even start trying to take stuff is just have a clear record of what the last you know, few periods have been like, because otherwise when you start taking something, you might not really remember what it was like and be able to pinpoint if it was, if it's helping or not. Um, because one of the trickiest things of a period is that it's once a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to remember sometimes what happened last month. Um, so yeah, just like make sure that you keep a record first and foremost, and then introduce something. And, and if you're going to introduce five things at once, then you got to bear in mind that you won't know which one of those five things was the one that's doing the good, good stuff if you if it starts working so you'll feel like you have to keep trying all five <laughs> to keep it up mm-hmm. so I try to recommend people just layer in one thing at a time like literally one month at a time um but I know when people are in like severe pain that's not what you want to do you don't want to spend a month to figure out something does or doesn't work you want to do what I like to call the uh, kitchen sink technique just bring it all in <laughs> Um, so I'm totally, yeah, I'm fine either way, but just keep my key thing is keep a record of what the experience was like before and after. So, you know, um, and you can start taking things like, um, you can start working with like our products that we make in our range. Um, they're really there to help with period discomforts, like things that are not being caused by an illness, but that, um, are a sign that maybe your well-being is is, uh there are improvements to be made right because it's really like a sliding scale from health to illness and there's a lot that happens in between and then and that's really there's only like a very finite area at the end of illness where doctors want to get involved and there's a lot before that where you could be making improvements and that's really where our product range sits but Having said that, if you have been diagnosed with something like endometriosis or PCOS or whatever, our the things that we have in our range will um, at least alleviate some of the symptoms and some of them will, like the rest of resilience, oh my God, everybody could take that because it helps at a really um, deep level with long-term stress and uh, healing from like PTSD and um trauma and the long-term stress that everyone's gone through with the pandemic so yeah anybody could take that and probably benefit um and you can look up things online but it's really a dodgy world out there um I would usually tell people to get a book called Bartram's Encyclopedia of Herbal Medicine for a book that will tell you what to take for literally like anything you can think of it's incredible Uh, I use it still like 12 years into my practice and um, I wrote a book called your period handbook which will take you through specifically like herbs for periods and period problems so lots of different resources there for people to dig into Um, and then if they want to check out your products they um, I'll put all the links in the show notes but can you just mention the name of the company again yeah it's uh, forage botanicals as in foraging for botanicals. Great. So what a lovely name. And I, you've sent me a few products, which I'm going to check out. I'm about to get my period. So um, I'm going to use use some of the, the period focus product and see how they they work for me. But yeah. I, I want to just go, go ask you about some of the research that you do. 
Um, you've sure. done some research around um, you, the invention of PMS. And I find that really interesting because yeah. um, we in, speaking to women in my practice and like in the work that I do, it's like they talk about, oh, I'm, I'm PMSing. And when I yeah. talk to them about how, well, you know, PMS is it's just a collective, a collection of different symptoms and it's not inevitable. Um, you're not automatically going to feel like this right before your period. It's kind of like, you know, it's mind blowing for some women because there's this kind of co- cultural programming that we get mm. that, you know, we're supposed to feel like this and mm. you know I want to really I'm interested to hear your take on this so my my concept of PMS is that um it is a hypermedicalization of a perfectly natural phase of someone's menstrual cycle and it can be problematic and that's when we tend to refer to it as PMS but it might not be problematic and um the word premenstrual syndrome in it is a bit of a giveaway, right? Whenever you hear the word syndrome, it just means a collection of symptoms. It doesn't mean they know what, what why it happens. It doesn't mean they, they know like that there's a particular hormone that's at the bottom of all of it. They don't know what's happening with it. It's just a collection of symptoms. So you could call um, the way that you feel after a big meal, big post big meal syndrome. Like you can just create syndromes left, right and center if you want to. They're not, and I think this kind of always blows people's mind, that generally speaking, like the medical terms that we have for illnesses are just a description of the symptoms that you'll experience and not much more. And when it comes to syndromes, like anybody who's got IBS, they'll also know a syndrome is really something where they don't really understand what's called the, the pathophysiology of it, like the path of illness that it takes in the body. And you got to wonder, how could we not possibly know for something that apparently women have had since the dawn of time? And we start to, if you start to go back through history, like, okay, well, when did we start calling it PMS? Um, it's kind of like in the early 20th century, 21st century. And um, it's around about the time that we start to drop the word hysteria. <laughs> And if you look at the two, they kind of, they look a lot similar. They have a lot of similarities. Um, This like momentary madness and specific to women. And even now we like culturally, we deem it as like a time where we go a little bit crazy. And like (laughs) (laughs) a lot of jokes have been made to that ilk. And so, and, and so it, knowing that historically that seems to be a path that we take with women's health to hypermedicalize, I am very cautious around PMDD as well, which I know is so like such a uh, problematic thing for a lot of people to hear, but I'm very cautious around it. So that's not to say that like, I think that it might not exist altogether. I think definitely exists, but I think that the way that we're framing it as something that should be treated hormonally is probably not no well we frame it like it should be treated hormonally but actually we give antidepressants for it so I think it even the way that we're talking about it is confusing um 
yeah, I think that we have a lot of work to do with this. It's just like, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, still for listeners who aren't aware, PMDD is um, premenstrual disorder, and it's different to quote unquote PMS because it typically starts right after ovulation, where the people who are experiencing it, they they kind of they have trouble dealing with the rise of progesterone and the second mm. smaller peak of estrogen. And mm. it's interesting that you say that it's it's people are treating it hormonally and it shouldn't be treated hormonally. I completely agree because you know if you look at the research behind PMDD and some of the kind of mechanics of the condition, there's mm. you know a lot around. Um, serotonin and mm. the 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 no the the link between serotonin and estrogen, but also PM uh, sorry progesterone and GABA, and the effect that those have on the mood and the energy. And then if you think about the the different symptoms of PMDD, you you then wonder well you know you can see why people are saying. Will take an antidepressant. I've been told by some clients that their doctors have told them that they should only take their antidepressant in the second half of their cycle. Which oh, doesn't make sense to me. No. So my experience with people who have PMDD has been—I haven't met a single person who has PMDD who's had a happy life. Mm. Not not a single one. Everybody I've spoken to has been like, oh, and by the way, I was like traumatized as a child, or oh, my my mother died five years ago, and I blame myself. Or like everybody has some sort of ridiculously massive, traumatizing, horrible experience that they've been living with for years, and they're like, but well, I don't think my PMDD is related to that. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think with PMDD though. It can be hard to see the wood for the trees because, you know, that shift after ovulation where we expect because of progesterone to feel quite calm and balanced. And, you know, you get told that you're supposed to feel like that and then you don't. And then you're trying to kind of you're like, you know, grabbing onto a boy in the middle of a like stormy ocean trying to figure out mm. what's going on and then you get your period and then all of a sudden you feel better you feel better again yes that like sudden switching on and off that kind of seems to be the experience of PMDD I feel like PMDD is what PMS should have been all along like in a way like so the the strengths of PMDD is that it's much more specific. We have a much far, more finite range of symptoms that are associated with it, which means that only a very small proportion of the population experiences that. Whereas for PMS, the list of symptoms is horrendously long. It's like hundreds. It's ridiculous. Mm. And it becomes so generalized. that It's like literally every person who's had a period will have had that at some point. Um, so, yeah, I think we really totally missed the point with PMS and so now I just try and reframe it that don't think of it as PMS think of it as it's just premenstrual phase and um that we all go through and it's a time where you naturally anything that happens is going to be magnified so if you're already stressed it's going to be more if you're already anxious it's going to be more if it's already if you're already depressed it's going to be more and with PMDD 
it's like that times a million and it seems to go from like zero to a million overnight and I can totally see why if that's what you're experiencing that you'd be like it's got to be my hormones Mm. yeah it's um what you're saying is so so interesting and it's I think we need to have more kind of really clear conversations about the Mm. distinction between the two you know really breaking down this myth of PMS um yeah but also being really clear that PMDD is something different and you know there there is a trauma element to it that isn't necessarily spoken out spoken about as mm. much because I've seen this as well PM that my clients with PMDD there's a lot of trauma there and mm-hmm. they do my clients typically do acknowledge acknowledge it but again it's that hard it's hard to see the wood for the trees when you know yeah. you're just trying to deal with all of these different things and also just trying to live your life <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so yeah I always say like you know um I can work with somebody with PMDD herbally in terms of trying to help take the the edge off that experience like maybe they are also quite sensitive to the normal changes of hormones like if they get a hormone test and they come back and it's all normal there's always the possibility that you're hypersensitive to the hormones that are at a normal level so you can work with people for that um but I always say like more than likely you're gonna also need some sort of like talking therapy to run alongside this to help with any kind of like underlying trauma that needs support ongoing support you know yeah yeah there's a lot of a value in just being able to let let have someone really objective to talk to who won't judge you who will just Mm. listen and because I think with a lot of people with trauma especially long-term trauma they're just holding so much in and also trying they've they there's a lot that just hasn't been dealt with and they don't know where to start and even starting acknowledging that there's that you need to start is a really big step yeah absolutely yeah and so PMS is like a whole different thing (laughs) (laughs) I just think we should just like bin it basically and talk about it talk about it completely differently say I've had a really bad premenstrual phase yeah this month completely completely agree so you there's a lot of really interesting insights there for people listening who they who to think about PMS differently it might be countercultural for you it might be kind of like something you've never heard before but I really encourage you to take it on and when you do come to that time right before your period with the week the seven ten days have a really look have a really um good look at what you're experiencing and see if it's it really is an exacerbation of something you're already experiencing where it's you're even feeling even more stress as Natasha says uh, if someone is listening to this and thinking oh, I really want to get in touch with Natasha I really want to work with her how can they how how can they contact you what do you have coming up so I I've been working on a six-month program with people, a a small group um, of 
just six people for the last six months and that's coming to an end and because I'm about to finish my master's I'm probably not going to run it again till January but that's something you could be joining the mailing list for updates on when that comes about but I have a team of two herbalists um one of which is about to go on maternity leave so one herbalist and she's fully booked till September but you can by all means you know book in a free chat with her in September if you have something that you think you actually need a bit extra support with they do one-to-one treatment plans with people whereas I you can always come and like just um uh ask me a question I, I am actually the person running the Instagram account. So you can just send a DM on there at Forage Botanicals and I'll answer. And you can also send me emails to natasha at foragebotanicals.co.uk and I'll answer questions there too. So although I don't have any, um, you know, one-to-one tutorial type things coming up from myself, there's always Joe who's there to take patients as well. Okay, brilliant. So if listeners... Um, would leave this conversation with one thing what would you want them to take away to start recording their their symptoms like start writing down when your last period was start writing down how long your period is and then put it down every day how your mood your stress and sleep is as an absolute bare minimum um, and start charting that based on the first day of your period being day one of your cycle and moving along till the next period, starting another chart then. That would be like my number one thing is just chart, just absolute basic charting mm. is um, such a necessity. And it, the research has shown that just charting will get rid of, um, will alleviate some of the symptoms because you can see that it's monthly and that brings you relief. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard that. Mm. So there's a kind of psychosomatic element of knowing that, oh, actually, it's not all in my head that this is actually happening to me. Yeah. And like it makes you feel like, uh, you know, aware that it is definitely happening, but also that it um, knowing that it's monthly brings people relief that it's not like part of some sort of hideous disease (laughs) that they do (laughs) is lurking. (laughs) Well, wow. Okay. Amazing. So at the very minimum, start charting, tracking your cycles, understanding what's happening to you, spotting patterns, and that in of itself might be helpful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been wonderful speaking to you. I've learned a lot. I hope the listeners have learned a lot too. Um, All the links to contact you will be in the show, show notes. Great. And I can't wait to hear how you get on with the products. Yes, yes, I'll let you know. Wow. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on your show today. It's been great. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod.com 
or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.